with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the Robohub podcast. Today we're learning more about Erika, an autonomous conversational android developed by Hiroshi Ishiguro's lab at Osaka University in Japan. Creating robots that are human-like, interact realistically with their environment and can hold a conversation has been one of the biggest dreams and biggest challenges in robotics. And while you might feel like you can have a conversation with Siri or Alexa, neither are truly autonomous and neither look anything like a human. But with developments in the fields of robotics, AI and tech in recent years, exciting progress is now being made towards the goal of developing a lifelike conversational robot. Erica, the short form for Arato Intelligent Conversational Android, is an autonomous Android system designed to look as human as possible with advanced sensing and speech technologies. Our interviewer Audro spoke to Dylan Glass, now a senior robotics software architect at Futureway Technologies, but formerly the chief architect for Erica. They discuss how Erica was designed, the uncanny valley, the software architecture of Erica, and some of the research studies she's been involved in. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Hi. Would you introduce yourself? All right. Uh, my name is Dylan Glass. I, uh, I was the lead architect of the Erica robot at ATR, which is a lab in Japan. Uh, mm -hmm. It's done a lot of robotics research, human-robot interaction. Mm -hmm. And what what's the goal with Erica? Well, Erica. Um, does it stand really, for anything? Yes, actually it does. So Erica stands for the Erato Intelligent Conversational Android. Nice. And Erato also stands for something which I don't remember right now. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's basically the funding organization that provided the money uh, gotcha. for this project. Okay. And so what's the motivation of Erica? Um, yeah. So uh, Professor Ishiguro in Japan, a lot of people have heard of him. He's developed a lot of you know, androids, very human-like you know, with, with like glass eyes and eyelashes and, you know, the little hairs on the back of your hand and all these little very, very precise human-like details. And for, for many years, he's been building, you know, more and more of these androids. Mm -hmm. and he built one that looked just like him, correct? He did. He did. <laughs> um, which, is, which is even creepier if you think that he's a professor and all the students are the ones working with it. So it's like your boss is like watching <laughs> you from this dead you know, a corpse-type android thing looking at you. It's so funny. Uh, so, um, you know, they, they were exploring a lot of different questions uh, in the research field mm -hmm. uh, with these androids. Um, you know, Can you give me what is, well, you know, I mean, the core questions are like, what does it mean to be human? And, you know, these very philosophical things. But okay. uh, a lot of it was, you know, studying how do people react to a robot that looks exactly like a human? Mm. Um, how can one of those robots participate in social interactions with people, or if it's a bystander, can you influence people's behaviors and things. Mm -hmm. um, but until now, almost all of those uh, experiments and things, they were maybe controlled by like a human operator behind the scenes, or mm. uh, a lot of the research was actually using the androids for telepresence. Mm -hmm. So the idea is you know there's a person there, the person is like talking through it, sort of like Skype or, or you know, 
telepresence. Uh, yeah. And having the android, the physical uh, instantiation there, uh, creates these additional feelings of presence um, that you can't get through video conferencing or whatever. So the previous re- research was about issues like that. But um, you know, the dream was always to have a fully autonomous social robot that looks and acts exactly like a human. Mm-hmm. And so um, Erica was sort of the chance to jump at that. And so we, we put a lot of effort into building you know, the framework to make her as fully autonomous as possible. And, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the research questions were around, okay, how do we build this? How do we automate aspects of, of a human-like social robot? Gotcha. Can you tell me a bit about how Erica is constructed? With this, so like, what is it underneath? So the skin and what's underneath it, and how, what sensors you have, and these kinds of things. Sure. Um, so her skin is uh, is silicone. Okay. And um, like her hair is, uh, she wears wigs. So uh, they're actually, well, there were three at the time. There are four now, um, Erica's in existence. That um, hmm. so you know you have to dress them up and you know put put the hair on and actually do her makeup and things like that. Uh, underneath the skin, she's got uh, so she has cameras in her eyes and she has little microphones in her ears, mm-hmm. and um, the actuation of her motors, uh, everything is pneumatic, so it's all air pressure. Mm-hmm. And she has little servo valves that regulate the air pressure that control, um, you know, her arms and her, you know, how she flexes her spine and orients her head and things. Uh, they actually they were very realistic inside the mouth. She has like a tongue that moves, and you know, her teeth and gums are like all. Mm-hmm. Very human-like. Uh, you usually can't see them when you're interacting, but if you have to take her apart to do maintenance, you, you see the, the level yeah, of detail. Like an autopsy. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. At least for getting to the skin. That's crazy. Okay, so you have all these different actuators. They're all pneumatic. Um, why? How, how does it... Um, where is all of this actuator? So it's all pneumatic, but do you have like a compressor offboard? Yeah. How, so, um, how does this all work together? Right. So previously, uh, in some of the older androids we had, we'd have like a big box with mm-hmm. you know fifty little tubes running out of it. Yeah. And then all these separate valves in the box that's hidden behind a curtain yep. near the robot. Uh, they they did a great job uh, building Erica. We outsourced to a company that has built several of these uh, robots gotcha. in conjunction with uh, Ishiguro Sensei, and. Um, they did this like amazing job. So it's just one hose that plugs into her, gotcha. and you get a compressor usually in another room for the noise. But uh-huh. um, she's very portable, actually. And Interesting. I, I feel so, like the design has really improved a lot over the years. So there's like an internal multiplexer that basically directs the air to the correct spots for actuation. Uh, basically, throughout her her body trunk and her thighs yep. are all the different servo valves that regulate where the, oh, the air gets gets sent to. So her body and legs and things, it's just a bunch of tube, tubes, basically, that the air is running through to move things. Um, mostly it's like aluminum boxes holding those things. So she's pretty solid. She's pretty um, solid? Yeah. And on the outer layers, yeah. it's mostly foam and, and things to keep a, a human-like profile. Okay. And then, so she has... Did you, so can't, are microphones in the ears. That's very interesting. Did you kind of use the ear structure for amplifying sound? So the, the original intention with having cameras in her eyes and microphones in her ears is, you know, the whole idea of like embodied robotics, yep. right? And like a robot that has a body um, has to respond to the world in certain ways based on the constraints of that body. So mm-hmm. if you have a social robot uh, that has the constraints of a person, right, like it can only see through its eyes, naturally you have to gaze at people in a natural way. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the thinking behind it. Yeah. Uh, Practically speaking, uh, 
those are very difficult problems. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody who's worked with you know, a robot that really perceives the world through moving cameras and gaze uh, understands how difficult that is to do. Mm-hmm. And um, with the sound, you know, picking up speech recognition is, is a very difficult problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a lot of advances in recent years with things like uh, you know, Alexa and yeah. Google Home. Uh, but, you know, that's the result of an enormous amount of work. And, Definitely. Um, especially with Erica, most of the time when she's interacting with people, it's like a group of like 30 people in the room. Yeah. And so it's pretty crazy. So um, while I was there at ATR, and I've been gone for about a year and a half, so okay. it's a little old. But yeah. um, while I was there, we almost never used the ear cameras or the eye, or the eye cameras or the ear microphones. Ah, um, what did you, external? camera and external microphones yeah so if you ever see videos of erica a lot of times she's sitting at a table that has uh, little flower pots on the Uh table those flower pots actually contain 16 channel microphone arrays (laughs) uh, which which we can use time of flight estimation to figure out the vector towards wherever the sound is coming from so we can actually triangulate like if you've got a big group of people we can triangulate who is speaking and she can like look at that person and respond to them Gotcha, that's how you do... Oh, so it's like a probabilistic thing where you figure out the vector of where it's going and you figure out where the person is and you say it's most likely that person and she looks at them? Yeah, it's... it's they use time of flight to figure out... Because um, the microphones are located like around the... Like array or something Yeah, like it's that. sort of like a, a ring of microphones around the base oh. of the flower pot and then a few towards the top so you can get sort of 3D vectors. Oh, it's 3D vectors. Yeah. That's awesome. And then in addition to that, uh, she's in a room with... And I'm describing our setup from ATR... Perfect. There are different setups that people do because we did, you know, field studies and put her in cafes and put her in yeah. all these different places. Oh. But uh, at ATR, we had um, a set of about 12 Kinect sensors mounted on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we used the point cloud data from that to track all the people in the room. So you might have like 30 people in the room and she can actually track all of them with the, the external cool. sensors. Okay, that's awesome. And then you combine that with the audio data and you figure out which of these people is speaking. Uh-huh. And then inside of her, her software, uh, she has a separate memory model for each person. So she'll remember the dialogue history with you or, you know, the last time that the person next to you spoke, uh, things like that. Gotcha. Very cool. Then, okay, so what are the limits of her actuation? Can she stand? Can she pick things up? No, she's, uh, she's bolted to a chair. Uh, <laughs> so she can't stand or walk around. Um, okay. There was some discussion about trying to make that happen. But, In the future, uh, maybe. Yeah, I think most of the research is focused on the face-to-face, like, you know, oh. spoken conversational interaction and emotional expression, things like that. Gotcha. Uh, they did actuate her arms, mm-hmm. so she can move her arms, like, up and down and things like that. Uh, but she can't grasp things right now. No, um, no ability to move the fingers individually, or is it just arms and... Uh, they installed this uh, after I left, actually, but I believe she can move her thumb and her fingers together somewhat. Oh. But um, it's not really designed for grasping. It's designed for, for communication. communication. So you tell me about actuating the face so she yeah. can make expression. So actually most of her degrees of freedom of actuation are in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not actually as many as uh, you might imagine. Like uh, if you compare with something like Hanson Robotics, you know, they have these incredibly expressive, incredibly realistic uh, androids that they've built and with you know 50 degrees of freedom in the face and I think Erica had what, seven maybe nine is it um, not that many huh. um, what are they if there's that few <laughs> I mean not like, you don't have to like, list all of them there's eyebrows eyelids lifting um, the eyebrows she can lift and lower the eyebrows she can okay. close and open the eyelids uh, around the corners of the mouth there's sort of diagonal up out and diagonal down out for smiling and for frowning smiling. she can, she can widen her lips uh, 
and, and close them. And then she can open her jaw and close it. I think that's all she had. Wow. But if you interact with her or if you see videos of her interacting, it seems like she doesn't have uh, a lot of degrees of freedom. But if you see videos of her or if you interact with her, um, my impression is that she seems much more lifelike than uh, you would expect with that number of degrees of freedom. And I believe that that's because of her voice. She has mm. like a really, really good um, text-to-speech system uh, that they put a lot of effort into. And a big part of that were uh, like tags and things to express emotion. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she, can, she can do all sorts of little gasps and, and you know, exclamations and um, filler, uh, vocal mm -hmm. fillers and stuff that uh, I think most text-to-speech systems don't support nicely. But they put a lot of effort into that, and I feel mm -hmm. like that really... It just creates this feeling of reality when you talk with her um, that you wouldn't expect from another robot with the same number of degrees of freedom. Gotcha. Then, so what experiences? You mentioned putting her in cafes, doing other things where people have interacted with her. What have people's reactions been? Um, it's hard, you know, in robotics, in human-robot interaction studies, uh, there's always the novelty factor, right? So uh, people are always just excited to interact with robots. Um, so, I mean, every time I've seen people interact with Erica, they're really excited to be talking with an android, and they're, you know, they're amazed at her expressivity and things like that. Um, I don't know how much that speaks to the, the implementation of what's inside and how much of it is just that you know, they're talking with a robot. Yeah, uh, but we've had you know scenarios where she's like sitting at a bar and like talking with people, or a lot of these are you know field demos and things. But mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. We've gotten like mostly pretty positive reactions. Mm -hmm. A lot of the you know the headlines that you read say creepiest robot ever, but uh. that's that's a term of endearment, I think oh, these days. Gotcha. And then like similar to that, the uncanny valley with this, which is the idea that if something gets kind of Say we have high expectations for something that looks lifelike and then it doesn't move in a lifelike way, we kind of are repulsed by it. Um, how does this relate to Erica? Um, there are lots of uncanny valley studies. Uh, yeah. it's a whole it's a whole thing. Um, I think that there's a mix. So some people find it a little freaky and weird, but yeah. other times, like when people, it's different if you watch her on a video and it's like, oh, she's somewhat lifelike. Maybe the lip movement could be better or something. Yeah. But when you're actually there and she like turns to look at you, it's engaging. Yeah, and it, oh. it engages like the the psychological like responses we have when someone yeah. looks at us, and uh, it it feels much more human than like I don't know a plasticky robot looking at you. So I think there there are positive uh, sides to the the human likeness. Gotcha. And related to that. Uh, so like the whole thing of making it like a cartoon kind of abstract or making it like a human where so in the design where why would we choose cartoon or why would we choose human what's the thinking around this um yeah there's a whole body of research around that question absolutely and, uh, or what are your thoughts because going the with the more human side of it yeah, I think the point of Erica and the, these other superhuman-like androids is to kind of push the boundaries of what we've explored yeah. and, and find out, okay, if you can make it more human-like, what's that going to be like? Mm -hmm. I think that when you interact with a very human-like android, it does uh, have more of an impact in some way than, than uh, less human-like robots. I think there's mm. definitely a distinction there, like yeah. no personal feeling. Um, so it pushes our social buttons more effectively than, say, something that's more cartoon-like? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so we can leverage that by making 
very human-like, very realistic robot. Yeah, so that's the uh-huh. that's the upside, and then yeah. of course the downside is that with cartoon-like robots, you have a lot of freedom to create like very extreme expressions, and you, yeah. know, you think of like Wally, or you think of you know actual cartoons of robots. You know, they often have very extreme movements and expressions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the space that you can play with is much more restricted with a robot like Erica, because yeah. everything she has to do has to be biomimetics, not the real word, but you know natural human-like expressions. Mm-hmm. You can't do. Um, exaggerated caricature yeah, type agency. animations with a robot that looks like a human because it breaks your expectations. Absolutely. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then can you tell me a bit about some of the design decisions of Erica? I mean, like, why a woman? Why? Just, just how did you pick these details? Um, how did you get the voice? So I, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't really involved in the design side of things. I was more the, oh. the software architect of the, of the system. Oh, I see. Um, Do you have any but, idea I mean, why these know, decisions have been made? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think a lot of studies show that uh, many people prefer to speak with, like, a woman or a female mm-hmm. um, character. Uh, so that was part of the ideas. And, and what I've heard is that the idea is, uh, you know, if she's very attractive, then people are more happy to interact with her. And so okay. she can provide better oh, like service. Halo effect for kind of thing? Um, it's just like people prefer, prefer to interact person. with attractive people, gotcha. I think. Um, and... So, yeah, that was part of it. I know one of the things that makes it very difficult is that she's, uh, she's modeled to be like a young woman, I think like 22 years old or something. And uh, it's very hard to actually make lifelike faces uh, for, for young people. Uh, if you make like an older, you know, like if you make a robot that's like 60 years old or something, has like more wrinkles, a little looser huh. skin, you can actually make them much more realistic. Interesting. Um, yeah, because the the way it sags and you know the way the materials fall. Yeah, uh, it's very hard to do like like tighter skin of a, of a young face. Huh. Very interesting. Then, so you were involved in the software architecture for yeah. this, not the hardware design per se. Right. Okay. What what is the architecture like? What what components? What does it involve? Do you imagine you said putting a good amount of effort in the text of speech and things? What's it look like? How do you? Sure. How how's it all connected? So, um, basically it's broken into three, three main parts, right? And one is kind of the sensory uh, input system. Mm-hmm. And I described a little, you know, we have these connect sensors on the ceiling. We have the, these microphone arrays that are triangulating sound sources. Yeah. We have uh, speech recognition, both in Japanese and English. Yep. Um, and we have, like, multiple microphones people would speak into for that. Although we've also, in some setups, we just have it pick it up from the flower pots yeah. and detect the speech directly. Definitely. Um, and we take all this, da- this different data and we kind of fuse it together. And I guess I should also say Erica's not one system. Like, we've, we have a lot of different configurations of software and hardware that are used in different research. So some people are very focused on dialogue research and yeah. that interaction side. Other people are um, focused on the gaze control and, like, how can she convey feelings and things through uh, moving her gaze uh, and, and looking at you in a certain way. Yeah. Uh, so there, it's a very modular system that can be configured Absolutely. in different ways. I imagine, though, even for a research thing, re, for research challenges, you say here is the whole system. You can replace the one part that you're investigating. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. So that's a big way of the way I designed it was mm-hmm. um, that you can you can have different kinds of sensor modules, different kinds of yep. of dialogue logic, and, and and things like that. So the first part is kind of the sensory input, right? Like, mm-hmm. and then the second one is the uh, well, the output, right? Is is um, 
we're blending together a lot of different things. So we have things like uh, like gaze, you know, who is she looking at, how mm-hmm. is she looking at them. Yeah. Uh, we also have things like uh, her emotional states. Yeah. And so she has facial expressions, and also um, the emotional states also affect how her body moves. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of sort of uh, subtle background behaviors that happen. Like if uh, she's speaking, um, and we modeled this after how humans really do it, when we say certain vowels at certain uh, volume levels and things, you mm-hmm. know, our head moves in a, a certain way, maybe we move up a little bit or down, yeah. and, and the spine flexes, the body kind of, um, there's like a rhythm yeah. as we speak. And so we actually modulate that based on um, the output of her motion module. Um, oh. So if she's like excited, she'll move in a much more um, energetic way. And if she's like a little more mellow or, or sad or something, she'll, she'll move more slowly. Uh, it affects her posture. So there's a lot of these subtle things in the background that are all being blended together. Gotcha. Um, and on, on top of that, we have uh, deliberate uh, gestures or expressions that pe- people who are creating the, you know, the content or whatever that she's going to speak, mm-hmm. uh, they'll put that in and they'll try to like deliberately have her express something. Mm-hmm. So in the architecture, we're, we're blending together all these different sources. Gotcha. And so now going a bit deeper into the emotion part of this, or when, so you have the emotion and say the person has some information they want to communicate, then do you kind of, and say an animation. So I, I say, hi, how are you? And in between hi and how are you, I'm going to wave at you or something like this. And then you take emotional state into consideration and she's sad today. So she's going to talk slower and lower. Is this the kind of thing that's occurring? Uh, more or less, that's that's what occurs. Is you, you have these sort of deliberate uh, things that the you know the content authors have ever create, uh-huh. and then you also have these background processes that are regulating gotcha. stuff. Like like she also breathes. Yeah. Um, but crazy that even that's like a little bit difficult because you know the breathing it interacts with speech, right? Yep. We don't breathe in while we speak unless we're Darth Vader, I guess. <laughs> uh, so she has to time the breathing so that you know the speech like is human like and makes sense. Gotcha. Then, so how do you, one, what does this look like from a programmer's perspective? So if I'm creating an interaction with her, how does that look? So uh, one of the things... I censoring text of some sort into something. But, right. And one of the challenges that I faced early on at ATR was I realized that, like, if you program in the robot's social behavior into its source code, yeah. uh, it's really hard to change. Yeah. And then, you know, say the robot says hi in a certain way, you want to speak differently. You have to go find a, a C++ programmer and say, hey, can you change this for me? And like, oh, hold on, let me compile it. You know, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it didn't make sense for, for rapid prototyping. Okay. Uh, so I, together with my colleagues, we developed this, uh, like a visual programming language for, hmm. uh, for multimodal robots. This is such um, a large project. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Okay. Well, it's, it's inheriting from a lot of history. We've built yeah. a lot of these things for other systems, and yep. and this was a chance to kind of pull it all together yep. um, in one effort. But yeah, there are certain things you have to do to to author multimodal interactive uh, dialogue content and stuff. Because what do you mean multimodal? Um, well, things like including gestures, things uh, like including okay, that's what you mean. Uh, gaze Body control. language, as opposed and the words and gestures, right. facial expressions, these kinds of things, how you say it. And even choosing who you're going to look at. Say you're having a multi-party uh, conversation, yeah. you have to say, okay, now look at this other person and talk to them. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of things that are beyond... I think when people think of like dialogue systems, they think like text in, text out. Yeah. But with robots, it's really... It's a complex multimodal world yeah. in and complex multimodal behavior out. Yeah. So um, some of the things are similar, and then there's some things that are entirely new with robots. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we created this this visual programming language that non-technical people can use to 
create, you know, Content. behavior for, for her to, you know, either tell stories or make small talk about yeah. things or whatever. So um, is it like a graph-based program that they write in or...? Yeah, it's uh, it's like a flowchart kind of thing, and it's hierarchical in nature. Gotcha. So it's pretty easy to, to build up these very large, complex um, mm-hmm. uh, interactions, uh, which have you know thousands of little behaviors here and there, mm-hmm. uh, and multiple people can contribute an author, and that can be built up. So that's that's maybe the main way she interacts, I think, yeah. because and then you wrap that in her emotional state. Um, is it true? Yeah, uh, I would say layer it. Layer it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, sometimes, like <laughs> yeah. what what she's saying or do, doing, responds to the emotional state. So she'll actually do. Oh, because the transitions branch. are not necessarily conversation driven, but they could be something. Else. Right. Right. They're driven by all of her internal variables as well Gosh, as what's happening in the conversation. Yeah. So um, that's like the primary way we control her usually, because you know the, the different goals uh, are different. So if she's doing like a media shoot. And people are like filming her on TV, and they're like, "Oh, say exactly the same thing, yeah. and do that six times." Uh, you want a scripted kind of thing, of course. Um, I think a lot of people in social robotics, obviously, you know, you want something that's unscripted and intelligent and things like that. So, uh, there's a lot of research that people have done that is maybe we don't use it mm-hmm. uh, most of the time, but uh, for example, we've developed systems for having her learn online. Like while she's talking with you, she'll learn things about maybe how you respond compared with how other people respond to certain things. Interesting. Um, we also have, uh, we did a number of studies where she's learning by imitation uh, from recorded interactions of other people. So we'll record uh, people having some kind of an interaction, like we did a study with a, like a travel agent scenario. Yeah. And we had people kind of role play that. Okay. And we collected like, you know, a couple hundred uh, interactions. What kind of features do you get from those interactions that you learn from? Um... Like what, in that what kind research, of we uh, learn about the interaction from. It? Well, the first thing you have to learn is um, what are the actions that the person you're trying to imitate took. Okay. So maybe people phrase things in many different ways. You have to uh, cluster those together if they have the same meaning, mm-hmm. and then choose like a phrasing or something for that that semantic action. Yep. Um, so we did some sort of unsupervised uh, learning. Uh, techniques for that to figure out, okay, from this corpus of interactions, what are the actions the robot would take? Mm-hmm. And then how do we implement that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, another layer of this is uh, grouping things into like topics. Yeah. Uh, so there's sort of like conversation level research that was done on this where we're, we're looking at the, the phrases that co-occur with each other mm-hmm. and you can statistically group those together and find out, okay, this is one topic, this is a different topic. Yeah. And based on those topics, you can actually get more accurate conversational rules and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cool thing is you can do this without understanding what the conversation's about. Yeah. So like no semantic understanding. I think you know traditional NLP things, you're, you're trying to understand what's being said. that's natural language processing, yes. Natural language processing, is right. And so, and specifically natural language understanding, you know, mm-hmm. people will take uh, phrases that people say and you diagram out the sentence and you find the parts of speech, you find the tag entities yeah. and stuff. Um, but... We were trying to do it without any understanding. Can you just imitate people having some sort of interaction okay. and have it completely data-driven? So uh, that's the kind of thing that is, I think, is really cool research. Uh, mm-hmm. We often don't demo that for people, uh, but that, those are the kind of papers that you'll see coming out of our lab uh, based gotcha. on the work we're doing with, with Erica. Because fundamentally, she's a platform for exploring how you're going to create a uh, how you can create a human like Android. Thank you.
And that's all from us for today. As always, plenty more where this one came from on our website at robohub.org forward slash podcast, where you can also find links to some really cool videos of Erica. And if there's a topic you'd like to hear featured on our podcast in future, or if you've got any feedback, questions, or would like to get involved, we're always happy to hear from you. So get in touch and email our president, Audro, at audro.nash at robohub.org. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Erica with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.